0: Hello and welcome to the Extension Experience podcast with your hosts Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science and economics. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik.
2: I'm Dana Zook.
1: And Josh Bishong. Today, Josh wants to talk about an update to crops and a look at you know where the wheat crop's at, probably the rye crop, maybe the oat crop, potential milo crop, potential corn, soybeans, everything possibly. That's, yeah, we'll just keep it broad. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot going on here lately in terms of weather. And even across the Southern Plains, from an economic standpoint, we've seen some of our crop prices go way up and have a really good bullish run and then come back down. And some of that has been because of the good growing conditions that we've seen across the area. So, Josh, I'll just kind of let you lead in with that. Uh, what does our wheat crop look like? What, what are some of the challenges we're facing?
3: See, we had a lot of questions coming out of that Valentine's Day storm the Siberian cold front there's a lot of concern about how is that going to affect the wheat crop are we going to have any spring forage to graze are we going to make a grain crop but pretty much everything I've seen since then has made a miraculous comeback because we had good moisture Uh, most of it was undercover with snow we did see some pockets and fields where maybe the wind blew off and had some wheat exposed to those frigid temperatures and that's one thing that we don't think plants get affected by wind chill but I was looking at wind chill maps online at the Mesonet site and when we got down to negative 20 negative 30 wind chills plants not warm-blooded like us so the wind chill doesn't affect them but that dry cold wind was more or less a natural desiccant so we did lose some biomass you see a lot of leaf tip burn lost a few tillers but I'd say maybe more so on the early planting wheat some stuff that maybe wasn't grazed too heavily that still had good size but our late planting wheat I think came out of the winter just fine I don't think we're going to have a lot of time to set tillers or a lot of biomass before we start going reproductive, but I'd say we survived those cold snaps pretty good. Next question right after that was did those freezes kill all the bugs? Nature has a funny thing of surviving things like that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't ever too concerned with anything that was going into that. We had some producers asking about if the wheat was going to be okay. And I was just thinking in the back of my mind, you know, where wheat's grown, right? Like, Yeah. Russia does a pretty good job of growing wheat and I think it gets cold there pretty often. So I don't know. I wasn't too concerned. It's just the last several years we've had extremely mild winters and it's easy to kind of get lulled into an idea that our wheat grows all winter long and that doesn't always happen. Yeah. We talked about bugs a little bit. We can, we can segue into Dana here a little, a little bit and ask her about, you know, the entomology side every single year when we have just a little bit of a cold snap we hear people asking well is this going to kill out the ticks is this going to reduce our fly pressure what what are your thoughts on that
2: well i don't i don't think that this is really going to impact you know flies or ticks i haven't heard anything from our state entomologist um, of course you know the the rains we've had in the last couple of weeks i mean that's going to impact some the the cold isn't i don't think the rains will impact maybe some populations uh, make them grow bigger or smaller, you know, Depend on the insect will depend on whether they like that um, or not. But I think like from a horn fly standpoint for cattle, I think it will be business as usual.
1: I'm gonna say right after that cold snap, I was planting oats on a patch next to some cattle and in the dark, yeah, I had plenty of horn flies flying all around those lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'd get out and they'd be all over you and you could tell they're horn flies, those little bitty tiny flies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, the cold didn't do anything to anything. You know, yeah. And, and like you said, uh, right after that cold snap again, we had mosquitoes on the horses like crazy right after that because crazy. of all the water. I think it's fine. The Purple Martins showed up. There's bugs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty easy to, to realize whenever the bugs are coming out because the Purple Martins have started showing up in force.
3: But overall, I haven't seen big pressures in the crops yet, but we are starting to see a few aphids and some worms here and there. But just getting out and scouting, uh, we did see a lot of guys start top dressing pretty heavily after those winter storms. At first, we didn't see much of a response on any in strips across the region, uh, but once we got into March and that crop started to really get after it, hit second gear and go, we started seeing a little bit of deficiencies. So guys that are on top of that, going to be further along, uh, but we did have some good time between rains to get some top dress out. We still got a few guys that are going to top dress some more, but what's the price of that nitrogen, Trent?
1: Well, I don't know exactly right now. I've heard as much as $100 a ton higher than it has been in the past. And that could put you anywhere from 300 to closer to $400 a ton UAN, depending on where you are. But that's gonna work through and and fix itself a little bit. But here in the near term, we still have supply issues coming out of that cold weather. We used a lot of natural gas to heat homes and we ran out of natural gas. So nitrogen production was one of the first things that could shut down whenever you have a, a reduction of natural gas. So we will see some of those issues for sure. I've had some producers worried about, they, they said the wheat's tillering or the wheat's joining, excuse me, yeah. and they think, well, it's too late to put on that top dress. And I've given them some different advice than that. So l- let us know how long can we wait to top dress some of this wheat?
3: Just like Eric, any other question we can answer, it depends, but uh, Dr. Brian Arnell at OSU, our precision nutrient specialist for extension has been doing a lot of work the last four years, and we can really push that later than we think. Ideally, we like to have it out there by the time we're jointing because the crop starts to use it from here till flowering. We'll use about 80% of the nitrogen it, the whole crop uses is consumed up to flowering. So we kind of need it out there as soon as possible. The later we go, we can see some yield improvements. It just depends on the growing conditions and if we get incorporating rainfall to get down to the roots. We're not getting much foliar uptake. We still want to get it down to the ground, get it to the soil, not just in that crop residue. So that's where we see using streamers on that liquid, or if we're getting uh, cold days and some rain forecasted, urea is doing just fine. Uh, but we wanted in the moisture to get down to the roots. The later we go, we're going to see some impacts on protein. Uh, we'll increase that protein for sure all the way through flag leaf and to anthesis. But yield, the sooner the better. Right now, because most of this, the regions already hit first hollow stem, we're starting to see that first and second joint come. We need that nitrogen out there as soon as possible.
1: Wheat can be a pretty efficient user of nitrogen right now. From my own experience, from what the research shows, if it's deficient, get it out there. Definitely, at least before flowering. We've seen some of those trials go out up to heading and still see a response to that. So there's time. You just have to run over some wheat and make sure you're using streamer nozzles.
3: <laughs> yeah, and we don't want to be using floaters this time of year. So either row crop tire rig or aerial apply. I know a couple guys have gone out with airplanes because we've been muddy Obviously, the impact is going to be on the application cost, but it's still an option. Like you said, if we're deficient, we're deficient, we need to correct it. We've seen yield increases, but usually as we get closer to getting into the heading stage, especially once we get past boot, a lot of guys this time of year, we're pulling off cattle. We're top dressing, and we also see a lot of guys wanting to do two applications in one pass. So they're throwing in a fungicide, insecticide, or at least most guys are herbicide in top dress. So we see that with flat fans because we want that with the herbicide. We are going to see some leaf burn. We saw some around those freeze events where we saw excessive leaf burn from using flat fans and high rates of UAN. That's why we like to see those streamer nozzles or using urea just have that separate pass. We're a lot more safe on that crop. I would say we're a little bit late hitting jointing this year compared to the last few years, Uh, but I anticipate from jointing to heading we're going to get there at a rapid pace so i don't see us catching up ground and putting out more tillers
1: well good opportunity for some producers may be now that it's too wet to get over with a ground rig think about herbicide or insecticide applications through the air and then whenever the ground allows getting out there with some ground rigs with that fertilizer and splitting those applications so
2: this may be a weird question but you've said in the past producers are paid for protein right so would that be beneficial to weight? You said uh, applying the nitrogen later increases protein. So is that, how do you balance that? I mean, what do you go for?
3: That's what kind of spurred that interest Dr. Arnold has been doing is we've seen some guys they are selling directly to the grain mills and they have a protein schedule where you get a premium if you have above a certain percentage or a dockage of less. And some of the county elevators are starting adopting those same discount schedules and some of them are determined on that year if everyone's got great protein there's not going to be a premium but if it's a year where we're light on protein they're probably going to offer a premium mm-hmm. so that's kind of hard to justify at this time of year whether or not you know there's going to be a premium later so it's one of those things we still have to take care of yield bushels is what's going to pay the dividends but uh kind of sweeten the pot is where you see that protein uh, get a little bit more price advantage uh, marketing the grain
1: That's an interesting comment, Dana, because when you think about the economics of the whole situation, when you come from a revenue standpoint, thinking about what the farmer makes money on, you know, the bulk of that is producing wheat grain and you don't want it to be mixed grain. So you actually want to, you want to deliver the wheat commodity. And then you start thinking about what are the discounts? You know, there's discounts for impurities, there's discount for broken grain, the size of the grain, test weight, and then protein comes in as a premium most of the time. So then you focus on protein probably last. And we've seen it in other crops like canola. Anytime you start measuring something, because we haven't measured protein in the past, and now that we are, premium can turn into a discount at times yep. mm-hmm. because there's always that, that minimum that, that the market actually wants. And we've always been paid for protein, just not on a per load basis. That's becoming more popular. The way we were paid was through the basis. And it was more of an area-wide thing. So, you know, you would have regions of the state that would have adjusted basis based on kind of what the protein was coming in. It wasn't a perfect system. It's better now because you're getting, uh, you know, each load tends to be tracked now at most locations. But it, that is an interesting way to look at it. And, and it's something that farmers, it's another management technique that farmers can use to try to increase the value on their farm.
3: In addition the management with nitrogen is a big component of protein but also variety selection. We've also gone great lengths to try to produce varieties that are producing better protein on the nitrogen management that we currently use.
1: So we've talked a lot about weed. I've got a few more questions about weed. So cold, wet weather tends to lend itself to stripe rust showing up. Have we seen much of that coming up from the South?
3: I haven't seen too many reports from South, but I have a few confirmed cases that it's out there. It just hasn't blown up yet, but more than likely it's gonna be another issue this year. Like you said, Environmental conditions is a big component of whether or not it's going to be an issue. And seems like it's always going to be there, whether or not how severe it's going to be and what timing it impacts that crop. The earlier we infect that crop with the virus or a disease or foliar pathogen like stripe rust or any leaf spotter diseases, the more impact we are going to have on that crop. The later, the better our infection goes.
1: Well, I spoiled the episode because I named off a lot of crops and all we've talked about is wheat. So <laughs> move, moving into the spring crops. Pretty good soil profile for a lot of the state. Talk to us about different regions of the state and what the moisture outlook looks like and what you think is going to happen with spring crops.
3: I'd say north central, we're sitting really good right now. Like you said, the soil profile is looking very favorable to get some full season crops out that are open right now. The price of inputs, especially nitrogen might dictate what crops get thrown out more, corn's starting to go in the ground. But we might see some crops that may have been something like grain sorghum where it takes quite a bit of nitrogen to go to something that's going to be less nitrogen input like soybeans or sesame. That's kind of one of those factors that's going to be farm dependent and every operation is going to have their different budgets for their crop. But like we've discussed here recently, most of the crops are looking very favorable, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, I mean... I can throw out or ask you an opinion, and I can even ask Dana as well. What do, you, what do you think drives crop plantings more, the price of the crop or the rotation on the farm?
3: There's obviously a lot of operations that like to stick to a certain rotation because they've seen the benefits over the years, and there's opportunistic farmers that are always reaching for what's going to make them the biggest money that year. There's always some room in there, some wiggle room in there where they kind of change things up. As an agronomist, I always like to see rotations between grass and broadleaf crops. So whether that going from soybeans to grain sorghum or wheat to soybeans, always like those rotations better than just sticking with corn after corn or wheat after wheat, beans after beans after beans, never a good ideal situation. So crop rotation is always important. We've mentioned there's some operations that are gonna stick to the rotations that they've seen work, uh, but there's gonna be a lot of shuffle in acres I imagine this year
1: and dana has a unique perspective coming from up north where rotations are have been king for a long time so i'm gonna guess that's what your family would be most used to right
2: mm-hmm. yeah i guess i'm sitting here thinking i you know typically corn and beans yeah there's some things that they grasp too of course farmers are always looking for the next newest shiniest thing that will make them money but i think for the most part from my family farm it was pretty much stick to the rotation and they incorporated some cover crops in the past couple of years, but you know, that's.
1: I'd love to say that I have a great idea of what's going to happen, but it, I've looked at the crop budgets. When you think about what prices have done, looking at corn, year over year percentage price increases has been the least for corn. And this changes by the day, so mm-hmm. don't hold me to it. But <laughs> corn is the, the least amount of increase. And then you got wheat and then somewhere in there, cotton shows up and then you have well, if, you want to, if we track sesame that way, sesame's come up with the other oil seeds, but then soybeans and canola tend to be at the very top. And Milo falls in there somewhere with the biggest change in Milo price coming from the increase in basis. So, you know, if I had to rank the increase in prices, I would probably start at corn, wheat, Milo, and then get up into the soybeans, sesame, and canola range as being the ones that increase the most. So in my gut, I would think that we would see a lot more oil seeds going out. But on the other side, I know on our own operation, we've been relying on oil seeds the last several years through low prices. So this increase in price, especially the wheat price, has been an opportunity to get back to something resembling what we're used to growing a grass crop because we've just had so many years of growing soybeans that uh, our rotation requires that we get back to a winter crop a grass crop so we can manage some of those weeds.
3: Weeds is becoming a very big component on what crops we grow. I mean, if weeds weren't an option, there'd be a lot more grain sorghum and sesame acres. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when we're starting to see resistant weeds, especially something like the pigweeds, palmer amaranth, we're relying on those crops that have more traits to them, or corn, soybeans, cotton, to try to combat some of those. Using the rotation, using different modes of action, we have to utilize those different crops just to stay on top of some of those weeds.
1: Yeah, it's, it's tempting to go with a water loving crop like soybeans here with a full soil profile, but if Oklahoma's taught us anything is that the spigot can turn off at any time mm-hmm. and it's a long growing season. So again, thinking about crop rotation or diversification is always uh, a very good idea. And I have a hard time building a budget that loses money no matter what I use, the prices have come up enough. So that's- That's a good sign. Yeah, it's yeah. nice that you have more options now. And I've heard some issues with, uh, some seed salesmen are worried about running out of soybeans because there's been so much interest in it. So, I mean, that's something to start thinking about and trying to make decisions, even though it's difficult this early on. I know corn's going out there now, but we have some time on those other crops. it would be interesting to see what moves farmers make as we go into the year.
2: Is this really the time the corn goes out in Oklahoma? You know, I'm not into that. Yeah, kind of
3: mid-March, mid-late March. Okay. We'll start seeing quite a few acres <laughs> go out, try to beat the heat
1: so
2: okay I learned something new every day
1: yeah you try to get that pollination earlier in the years because we can have some really hot times through June through August so that's true yeah.
3: there have been a, a few producers dabble with more of a double crop scenario where they're plant so late very short season corn where they can try to get 80 90 bushels they'd be happy because they don't have as much into it like a full season corn crop but mm-hmm. typically we're wanting to try to get that reproductive growth stage before we get too hot and dry okay cotton acres couple months ago, we were thinking maybe acres will be a little bit down compared to last year. Price of cotton right now. I've heard some guys chitter-chatter across the countryside thinking they might increase their cotton acres. So that's going back to the price. He said, oh, we'll see crops like cotton showing to be very favorable for some.
2: So you're talking about all these crops, and I'm hearing this from both of you. All these increases in crop prices. Can you speak to why this is happening? I'm putting no. you on the spot. <laughs> I'm not really up on that. I have kept track with your marketing updates, but.
1: Well, there's two different ways to look at it. And you can get bogged down by the little details that move markets every day. Or you can look at the grand picture and it all influences it. And what I say would be different than somebody else. But Dr. Anderson has been talking a lot recently about food security. Kind of worldwide, there's been a move towards trying to secure food supply for their country and I think it's in no small part due to the disruptions in trade and and things like that in the past where it's been difficult to secure some of those crops and we've seen localized prices increase substantially in various countries so you've seen some grain being bought up and that's been a focus Uh, some difficulties with crop production have also caused some of that and then so recently wheat prices have gone up and they, they stayed up for quite a bit of time. And then we got rains across southern U.S. and we've seen that price crash. So when the market does that and you see a lot of that volatility, it, it doesn't ever feel very strong to me. And it worries me a little bit. Looking specifically at sorghum, that price has come up with corn. Again, the futures price increase has been substantial, but not the biggest part. It's really the basis. And that's been because China has showed up again to purchase sorghum. The corn price in China is... Incredibly high, and they've been making a move towards uh, becoming more de- independent in terms of growing their own corn. Corn prices have been increased, so then they're looking at sorghum as an alternative to purchasing corn. The other side of that is their hog herd is increasing as they get over some issues with health in their hog herd, so they see them feeding more hogs and requiring more coarse grains in order to feed that herd. And it's just every little country has its own thing like that. Russia has adopted some import or export taxes on their wheat excuse me so they're they're trying to limit the exports of wheat out of their country which has made the US more competitive on the world market in terms of wheat so then you see the wheat price increasing but when policy affects price policy can affect it negatively and positively mm-hmm. so while it's a positive price move now the stroke of a pen could could remove a lot of that so looking at these prices i would encourage producers to be very wary the soybean price is really good in the nearby contracts up above 14 dollars. when you look at the deliver contract we're at 12.50 or so so there's a lot of concern in the market you can see it right there that the market isn't willing to bid up that those longer term contracts because there's a lot of unknowns out there
2: so lots of speculation
1: partially. yeah i mean speculation will develop a lot of emotions in various people I never see speculation as a bad thing Mm -hmm. and some people will. So you want to be careful (laughs) exactly how you, how you look at that, but Mm -hmm. it's really just trying to position themselves, different players in the market are trying to position themselves. And, you know, whenever equities become a riskier play for like hedge funds and things like that, you'll see commodities becoming more interesting to those because commodities tend to be a safer place to put money in the long term. So that we've seen some of that as well. Well, that's, kind of a recap of what we've gone through since well last time we talked about crops was December or January we're talking about the wheat crop so that's yeah. kind of our our follow-up things look pretty fantastic in my opinion I think we'll have to harvest some wheat which is always a struggle because now I got to get the combine ready
3: yeah and there's room to throw some money into the crop too so
1: that's probably something we've no, haven't recommended in several years <laughs> yeah yeah I that's what I, that was my recommendation to a producer that hadn't gotten his top dress fertilizer done and it was joining i said this crop's worth quite a bit more than it has been in the past if it's hungry feed it and and take advantage of that moisture
3: and protect the flag leaf a lot of guys have never put a fungicide on their wheat crop and time and time again you can just look at the data from lahoma where we have the variety trial every variety with and without a fungicide application at flag leaf over the past seven years there's been 20 percent difference in yield with and without a fungicide at flag leaf so 20% of your yield is going to pay for that, especially if you have over 30 bushel wheat. So,
1: Yeah, it's something on our farm we've adopted and pretty much every year we put it on. But that'll be a hot shot topic if we see rust blow up in the state. We'll definitely put out a, a quick little update on what's going on there. But with that, I'd like to thank you for joining us. And if you have any questions about growing some of these spring crops or questions about your wheat crop, be sure to contact your county educator and we'll catch you next time.
0: We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again and we'll talk to you soon.